Yeah, no, I always remember about Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah. And then silence it again on Wednesday, so. Oh, well. Well, you can turn and you li- if you like. Uh, why don't we come over here? Why don't we come over here to Romans chapter 4? I said this morning that, uh, and I don't know, I didn't, I wasn't going back and, and I didn't have something I did fresh on my mind, but I felt like in my, in my desire to not bog things down because there's just so many, there's so many deep dives you can make at any point in Romans. And when people's people's eyes start glassing over, I realize I need to come up for air a little bit. And so I used to make a big deal out of this, and, and I still do on any time when I think it's necessary. But in, in Romans 7, where Paul is is going back and placing himself as he was when he was uh, a Jew by covenant with God under the law. Well, he does that. But people hear that and immediately they go, okay, Romans 7 have anything to do with me because I never was a Jew and I never was under that law, so it doesn't matter, and they dismiss it. And you're missing the whole theme of the book of Romans. He gives that, he gives the argument in Romans 7. All these arguments are laid out and they're all connected. And so it's important for us to understand he's got to make a case. He's got to make a case for the Jewish Christians in the, in the church at Rome. He's got to make a case for them that the law doesn't get God's purpose done. And in doing that, because he said some things very clearly and very blatantly, he knows. He he was ahead of every other Jew his own age. He doesn't know the Jewish people. He knows. This is grand. This is in their DNA. Well, uh, we have a tendency in our brotherhood, because as I listen to to other faith groups talk. And a lot of times, their treatment of Scripture is so superficial. They didn't, dive, they didn't do a deep dive into any details. They pick a verse here. They pick a verse here. They build some argument. Well, you, there's, there's no context. There's no depth to it. And I'm not categorically condemning anything except what's in contrary to Scripture and you know, nobody has a monopoly on that. But if you look over here in chapter four, there's a little paragraph, and I tried to underline this. It's just, we've tried to take our time. It was been a long time ago. But he said, he said in chapter three already, the law didn't justify anybody. What it does is it shuts everybody up, and holds them accountable to God, 320. And what it does is it makes sin known to be 
sin. Why, why this is important for us, and, and I bring up the Jewish element of that, and I did that today. I brought up the Jewish element of that because I've just been reminded this week, I'm going to get the chalkboard. I've been reminded this week of how people, they have very mixed up the covenant we're under. They start talking about the Ten Commandments when they're intending to talk about Christianity. Well, make up your mind what you're talking about because they're not the same thing. They, they necessarily don't have anything to do with each other. Other, what they have in common is they came from God, but it's two separate covenants. And the Ten Commandments never did get anything done in regard to redemption and justification. It couldn't. That wasn't its purpose. Its purpose was to point out sin to God's people. So he said over here in Romans 4, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law, listen to verse 14. If those who live by law. Now, is he primarily talking to the Jews here? Well, yeah, he's got their full attention. As soon as you say the word Abraham, as soon as you say the word law. Because Christian or not, these Jewish Christians, they, and we don't, I guess we don't understand that very well, but these people have been Jews their whole lives. And 57 AD, when Paul writes this, the temple is still up functioning. And from physical appearances, Judaism is still in place. We know it's not. We're not that tempted with it, except we have this romantic idea about the Ten Commandments. For if those who live by law are heirs, if they gain an inheritance, if a sinner gains an inheritance from God just because God gave him holy and good and righteous instruction... Faith has no value and the promise is worthless. Your translation says something along those lines. Faith, he's not talking about just ambiguous trusting or acknowledging there's a God. He's talking about faith in Jesus Christ. If you're going to pursue the Ten Commandment deal, then faith in Jesus Christ has no value and the promise God has made to Abraham to bring redemption and salvation and help to the entire world through his offspring. You've made all that null and void. In the, in the letter to the Hebrews, the author is going to say, we got to divorce ourselves from that. That's a strong word. That's a strong word. Because law brings wrath. That's another one of those blunt statements. The Ten Commandments, just of themselves and on their own, when you break one, you know what's coming down on you? 
the wrath of God. They're not 10 suggestions or 10 philosophical ideas. They're commandments. And the first five even physically carry the death penalty with them. The law brings wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. So come over here with me to Hebrews 7, since I brought this up this morning. Here's the thing. I'm trying to do two things, and maybe that's too much at once, but so much of this I feel like we've covered fairly well, and I feel like everybody's gotten hold of it on some level. It's just two-thirds of the time since I've been talking about this, and I've realized this, first time I've ever preached and studied and had classes all out of Romans. But I've realized two-thirds of the time when I'm doing this, we're not talking. I'm talking, but nobody else is. So I don't know what people are getting or not. All of this is going to come to bear Wednesday night because uh, I had a question after class, and I thought, that's a real good question. That's what seeded a lot of this. And I thought, if I would have explained this better earlier, maybe that would have cleared it up some when he's talking about this struggle within the creation. So, but... In regard to clear up the covenant, here's something real important over here in Hebrews chapter 7. Did I think to say? You know, I skipped skipped Galatians. I don't want to do that for my earlier point. After Romans 4, come over here to Galatians chapter 2. And I might have quoted this or paraphrased it this morning. But I I want us to understand in fact I may just paraphrase Hebrews. I'm I'm trying to not muddy the water. I'm trying to I'm having a team meeting right now, Bill, out loud. I'm sorry. Galatians chapter two. I have verse twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is the opportunity and that is the dynamic of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not something else. That's one, that, that's, that's almost a first grade sentence in my translation. I died, I've been crucified with Christ, that my crucifixion to sin, his crucifixion for sin have been united. That was in baptism, Romans chapter 6, for our mindset. And I no longer live because I died, but Christ lives in me. This This is how the gospel is dynamic. See, the law of Moses couldn't do that. It couldn't do that. This, this, is, this is God's righteousness. Christ Jesus himself by the Spirit come to abide in us. This is in Romans terms, God's righteousness. The righteousness that Christ Jesus himself had is now accredited to me. And the grace of his system of crediting me with his righteousness is now reigning and ruling in my life. That's what Paul's saying. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I'm still living life in this body, facing Tim, facing 
sin, facing temptation. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's a new life. That's a dynamic life that has nothing to do with God's told me what to do and what not to do, and now I have to embrace that struggle on my own. Now, when he, when he produces that argument, when he, when he gives the illustration of that argument in Romans 7, let's turn over there and read that. A little bit of it, at least. <clears throat> we'll start. Well, I'm going to read. I'm going to read. Okay, I'll start in verse 4. So, my brothers, he said in chapter 7, verse 1, do you not know, brothers? Now, he's going to say in chapter 9, verse 1 or verse 3, uh, brothers, the people of my own race. So he's talking about Israel. So he's talking to the Jews here, and he does that in the letter. He sections them off and talks to them. But the principle can apply for everybody. So then, my brothers, you died to the law so that you wouldn't have to endure wrath through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, by the desires of our flesh, if you want to say it that way, the sinful passions aroused by the law. Now, when he says that, he knows good and well they're going to start griping that he thinks there's something wrong with the law. The law was righteous, holy, and good. He says that. But sinner under the law, a Jewish sinner under the law, is not a dynamic thing. There's no victory in Jesus in that. There's, there's condemnation in that. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. See, that's not, and he'll say in Corinthians, the product of the letter was death. Well, that's what law does. It brings death to sin. Now, the covenant they had wasn't just law. This is the point where Hebrews, which I'm trying to avoid bringing in, but maybe I should. But Hebrews 7, 11 to 12, and really 1 through 12, what, what Israel didn't get and what people sure don't get now is the law, the Ten Commands that stand for the law, they're not just there by themselves. And God said, oh, this is our covenant in the subject. The law is based on the Levitical priesthood. If it wasn't based on a Levitical priesthood, it, they couldn't even function. God said, build for me an altar. And they did. And so even the commands that he gave them wasn't so they could live out Romans 7. That wasn't God's purpose for the law. 
But the Levitical priesthood, why you don't want anything to do with the Ten Commandments is your covenant with God is because if you've got the law of Moses, then you've got the Levitical priesthood and that's all you've got. Because he says, verse 12 of chapter 7 and in Hebrews, when there's a change of law, there's necessarily a change of priesthood. If you're going to leave the priesthood of Jesus Christ, if you're going to leave the law of the gospel, the law of the spirit of life, if you're going to leave the message of the gospel, then you're going back to a defunct priesthood that doesn't save or help anybody, never justified anybody, never, never was dynamic to accomplish God's purpose on earth. Why do I make a big deal out of this? Because you don't have to be a Jew to pervert this. Because in our minds, if all we got is God's commandments and we don't have the spirit of life, if we don't have the blood of Jesus, if we don't have the righteousness of Jesus, if all we've got is our own standing before God, Where's your priesthood? Our confidence in God is based on, the Hebrew writer will say that in chapter four, who is our confidence standing before God's throne room? Where does our confidence come from? What is our confidence in? Jesus Christ, our great high priest. He is the son of God. He is sinless. Our confidence is in him. And this is not, this, I explain it in the terms of priesthood, and maybe the New Testament does, because people keep getting the idea that I'm trying to make this so easy. Oh, just everybody's saved. Brother and sister, everybody's not saved. You know why? They won't believe the gospel. The gospel is God's only salvation. It's not just his only salvation. It's the only dynamic message from God that will give us newness of life. Now, if you're trying to work out some deal with God where you get to keep your sin, that's real simple. Just keep it. Jesus said you can die in it. If you want to live like Jesus never came, get after it. But that's not what anybody in this auditorium is doing. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about this is God's system to get away with sin. You don't get away with sin. But if we're gonna if we're gonna be forgiven of sin, and being forgiven of sin is not the only purpose of the gospel. God intends his forgiveness to be a dynamic force in our lives because he doesn't just forgives us, he gives Jesus to be our high priest. He is our continual, constant intercessor. That's why nobody can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You know what you gotta do to condemn me? You gotta whip the guy that's interceding for me. You've gotta defeat him, not me. You can't defeat me because I live in him. That's what Paul said. We see what I mean? We see what I mean? So don't let people twist this around because all we needed, now all we need is just some good moral instruction from God and then get out of the way. And I hear so many sermons that are that. The church needs to start doing this. The church needs to stop doing that. There's a whole list of things the church needs to stop and start doing. If you'll follow us around long enough, the list will get longer because we continually wind up doing a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter to anybody. But that's not the purpose of God. 
The purpose of God is for us to have a new life, a life that's free from condemnation, a life that's, com- that's completely confident. And not confident to our satisfaction, confident in the priesthood of Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. And I'm just real thinking that we're going to have to necessarily study Hebrews after this because I can't get it off my mind. Because this, this is our confidence. This is our confidence. When we're praying to God, we spend too much cotton-picking time talking about us. We're not the dynamic force in prayer. Jesus' priesthood is the dynamic force of our prayer. And when we start to understand that, then prayer will be this thing that we come to that changes our minds. And that's primarily the first thing we're looking for, isn't it? When I get angry, God bless my heart. When I get angry, what's the thing that I want most? To get away with it? Y'all already know me better than that. That's not what I want. I want to be done with it. And if I don't watch it, then the devil gets me over and having this conversation you idiot, you're so mad. Why are you so mad? It's your fault that you're, I'm getting madder. The more he talks, the madder I'm getting. And then somebody, bless their heart, comes up and says, what's wrong with you? And I got explained. And as I start explaining it, I get angrier. Did you ever be in a bad mood and you just nearly worked through it? And then somebody comes up and goes, how was your day, Alan? No, really, I, brother, I want you to tell me the details. Captain Crunch, here you go. And you just get in a bad mood as you start talking about it. A change of mind is what we're looking for. He's not trying to leave us over here in Romans 7 where we're, th- th- this is what the gospel is powerful to remove us out of. And Paul knows, he knows these Jewish Christians. He knows how this, they don't like this. You're telling us there's something wrong with the law. He said, I hadn't said that yet. I'm telling you. And he said all this in one sentence in chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, by the, by the weakness of human flesh, sinful human flesh is powerless under law to accomplish the dynamic thing that God is trying to give us, that Jesus died to give us, that the Holy Spirit is living in us to to produce and manifest for a whole known world. There's only one rescue from sin, and his name is Jesus, and he is the Christ. There is, there is only one avenue to our mind being changed for it, to be, for it to be washed and our soul to be cleansed and our mind to be changed and our thinking to be transformed and God to be elevated and Christ Jesus to be elevated to our King. Not abstractly in our hearts and in our minds. Isn't that where God's writing the law? Isn't that where the new covenant is? Christ Jesus is going to be king in our minds. We're going to know he's king, king of righteousness, king of peace. 
just like the one who was typical of him. High priesthood, not because his mama and daddy were the high priest. No, a high priest like Melchizedek. You know why Melchizedek was high priest? Because God said he was. It It didn't come from his parents. It was just there. Christ Jesus priesthood is there because God wanted it there and he placed it there. And it's so we don't have to be under the wrath of God. And, and all of this, all of this undergirds the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul hadn't changed subjects yet. And if all we need God to do is just give us some good, clean, moral instruction, if all we got to do is figure out what the church is supposed to do and the church is not supposed to do, you catch the application, I just wove it in. Make it 14 commandments and get them out of the New Testament. And if we're going to stand before God on what we do that's moral and good from God, we're missing the point. If we will let the gospel overtake us. The gospel is what keeps us from pulling on this rope against God, trying to get away with what we want because the gospel just calls us to surrender. I give up, Lord. I need your help. I'm going to continue to struggle. I'm going to continue to be tempted. But you know what? I'm going to remember who you are and what you did, and I'm coming straight back to you. And when I get it handed to me out here on the battlefield, I'm coming straight back to you, King Jesus, because I don't know anybody else like you. God, when I need your mercy and when I need your grace, I'm going straight into your throne room confident with confidence and boldness to enter the throne room that we might receive mercy and to find grace to help us in our time of need. When we figure out God's grace is given to us not just to lean on when we did something wrong, but, but to overtake our minds again, to overtake our lives again, to promote within us this desire that I want more and I want more and I want more, not more moral instruction, more of this guy, more Jesus Christ, more and more of him. We sing a song like that. that that's what we're after because this is what works and it works. And, and, I don't know if it's any of our business, really, what it accomplishes. But if we're not confident of this, we need to get our confidence from here. We don't get our confidence from our emotion. We get our confidence from the Word of God. Amen? I mean, God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not, it's inconsequential. Now, it will bless you and help you if you believe it. But if you don't believe it and God said it, it's still settled. And the law was never given to accomplish God's purpose. He told Israel, 6th century BC, this law, there's a new one coming. There's a new covenant coming and it's going to be in the minds of my people and it's going to be in the hearts of my people and I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people and I will remember their wickedness no more. 
I will forgive their sin and remember their wickedness no more. Come over here with me to Hebrews 8. Just right fast. We'll get into all this when we get into Hebrews. But verse 12, chapter 8. I will forgive their wickedness. How? By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We keep doing it, uh uh-huh, by the intercession of Jesus Christ. He just said in chapter 5, he lives in chapter 7, he lives by the power of an indestructible life forever to intercede for the saints. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. That is the power, that is the power of the gospel to deliver us to God to bring us to be with him, to bring us to be like him. And yeah, that's ultimately going to be in heaven one day, but it's right now on a sinful earth. It's right now in the midst of sin and temptation in our lives and the lives of people we love. God has changed us. He's given us something new. He's given us something dynamic called life. Verse 13, by calling this covenant new, He has made the first one obsolete. That was the whole illustration this morning about the pickup trucks. The very 6th century B.C. when Jeremiah said the word new, inspired by God, the old one, it became obsolete. He didn't call the old one the old one until he spoke of a new one. The old one is obsolete, and what is obsolete is aging and soon will disappear. He didn't say it'll soon disappear in Hebrews. Jeremiah said that 550 years before Jesus ever got here. It was soon to disappear then. It was becoming obsolete then. Why? Because he had promised a new one. A new one that just doesn't leave us on our own in our, in our search for morality and for righteousness. We've got righteousness provided. We've got intercession provided. We've got a new life provided in the person of Jesus Christ. And the thing we've got to do is hang on to that. Amen? Or treat it casually and argue with God about it all the time. I wouldn't suggest that. I would suggest hanging on to it with both hands earnestly. And let God decide what that amounts to in your life. And I'll tell you, before I understood any aspect of this, you can add up the number of people I talked to about Jesus Christ. I'm holding up a zero. And I had religious arguments on school bus every now and then. But I wasn't begging anybody. I didn't know in my heart I would give anything whatsoever for this person to have exactly what I have right now with God Almighty. Because what I had was fear that I hadn't done enough, that was evident. That I couldn't, I couldn't keep my promises to God or myself, that was evident. That my effort was lacking, that was evident. 
I didn't have a leg to stand on when the devil's accusing me. And by God's grace, he put a stop to that. Didn't he put a stop to that for you? You had some 12-step, 12-year program to become so sick of yourself and your sin to, oh, give me a break. It was by God's matchless grace that any of us turned to Jesus and said, amen, Lord Jesus, I'll be yours. I don't care. All to you I surrender. All to you I freely give. See, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. And the more we consider it, the better handle we have on it, the more powerful and the more practical it becomes in our lives. And people are, are longing. They are longing in their souls to have exactly what God has already given you and I in Christ Jesus. No, they are longing for it. They are longing to not be afraid. I, I don't find people longing to get away with everything and everything to go their way. I don't even find anybody has that expectation that there's some way to get through life and never face any suffering and always get what you want all the time when you want it. I don't even find people, they don't, people don't even talk like that. They just want whatever suffering they have to be worth it. They just want a purpose in life that's bigger and, and bigger than they are. People will work their fingers to the bone when they think they have a purpose that is above them. I'm talking about sinners on a street. Not some of them, but some of them will. They will too. What if we turned them onto this dynamic? Think about that. If the Lord gets hold of some people like that, where that it go? I'm just reminding us, brothers and sisters, please remember what God has afforded you in Christ Jesus. All this talk in Romans is revolving around the one idea of the gospel and the single solitary message that God has ever given anybody that will bring anybody to be with him in heaven forever is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the single solitary message that God has given that will, that will subdue sin and change your mind and, and bring your life to shine like a star in darkness is the gospel of Jesus Christ.
And none of that, none of that is on my terms, nor is it on your terms. It's on God Almighty's terms who gave his son. It's his plan. It's his purpose. He'll lay down the terms. It is sure and it is certain. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, uh, Father, I pray that you be with us. I pray you forgive me, Father, if I've tried to say too many things at one time. Um, You know my heart, Father, and I just want desperately for us to understand that our confidence is not in ourselves. Our salvation doesn't come from ourselves. Our salvation is just as sure and certain as the one who offers it, as the one upon whom it is based. And the power, Father, available for us as we learn a little at a time and as our humility becomes more functional and the more of the gospel we understand, the more humble it makes us. And and you always categorically will bless humility. Father, help us in this journey to understand the gospel more practically and more effectively. And help us, Father. I know there's Romans is one of those things in Scripture that is hard to understand. That's what I think. I think that's part of what Peter's talking about when he said Paul speaks all these and about all these things in all of his letters, and some of which are hard to understand. But he said the ignorant and unstable people just twist that up and they do so to their own destruction. And we're trying, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure it out, Father, so that it makes sense, so that we understand it. We know why we understand it. We know what he said. We know why he said it. So that we can articulate it and explain it to ourselves on any given day that we need it but to a world, Father, that has no idea the depth of your kindness, the power of your word, and the power and the authority of your Christ. Help us, Father. Help us to engage this in a way that will bring our confidence and, and create in us courage and assurance it will bring us, Father, to be helpful, to be patient, so that we're able to be helpful to those around us who need it. Thank you for telling us the truth. Thank you for helping us, Father, to understand it. Thank you, Father, for all of the blessing that it brings into our life on a regular basis. Glorify yourself, Father. Glorify yourself in the truth you give us. Glorify yourself in the journeys that we're on all on. We're not trying to get away with sin. We're not trying to get into sin. We're not trying to make sin not matter. We're trying to get free from it, free from its practice, free from its propensity, free from its existence in our mind. We're not demanding that be on some level, on some timetable that suits us. However long it takes, we don't care. 
We just know the solution, Father, for our problem. Help us to hang on to him and help us to hear what you tell us about him through your word of truth. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this opportunity to be in this quiet place together. Please, God, bless our efforts to know you and to love you and to understand what you've given us. Bless, bless our journey in that, Father, in any little way and bless it in every single way that will bring you credit and glory for the promise-keeping God that you are. Thank you for hearing this prayer you said you did. And we thank you, Father, for answering it according to your will. And that's the only thing we want is your will to be done. It's offered through him who bled and died and intercedes now on our behalf. We pray these things. Amen. God Almighty cannot love you more than he does to give his own son on the cross for you so you could belong to him, so you could be his child, so you could share the inheritance that is yours in Christ Jesus, so that you could be one of Abraham's offspring and have your steps and your journey guided to God's glory. But Jesus Christ cannot be more powerful than he is. Seated at the right hand of God interceding for us. If you need the family's help tonight, if you need our love or encouragement, you can let us know now while we stand and while we while we sing. I said the wrong number earlier. I got to myself. Number